Welcome everyone to the Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. You know, there's a famous quote about the ballroom dancer, Ginger Rogers, that she was not only able to do everything that Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards and in high heels. I have always appreciated what a great illustration that quote is of the additional challenges and hurdles that can face women and professionals of color in the corporate world. And as mentoring is at its essence, the gift of seeing with new eyes, viewing the familiar with a different perspective, I am delighted to say that Kimberly Gray is joining us today to share her perspective and experiences as a black woman who is over 40, and has navigated the corporate world so successfully as an executive leader. Now, before we start our conversation, I want to first share some of Kim's background with you. Kim recently accepted the role of Vice President Global Talent Management for Leggett and Platt, which allows her to leverage her deep experience in designing and implementing critical human capital practices, including performance management, engagement, learning and leadership development, succession planning, and diversity and inclusion efforts to support world-class people experiences and inclusive cultures. Kim also brings her extensive experience working with global employees through her previous leadership roles at Syngenta, Cargill, Best Buy, and Top Build. Kim's achievements began early on when she was the first in her family to graduate college. She received her bachelor's from Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. She started her HR career in Florida with Walt Disney World, spent some time in North Carolina, several years in Minnesota, which may be why she now currently resides in Daytona Beach, Florida, a little warmer. She is the proud mother of a college-aid daughter currently attending Purdue. And it might not surprise you with the work that she does. Throughout her career, she has always mentored others. Now, this may be a result of having her first HR boss at Walt Disney World turn out to be such a supportive mentor that she still serves as a mentor 20 years on. All to say, I'm delighted to report that Kim also joined Mentium's mentor community recently. She's currently mentoring her second cross-company mentee. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, and for us to have this crucial conversation. Absolutely. Well, and I want to dive into what I was talking about at the very beginning of the introduction. As a woman, as a woman of color, and as a woman over 40, you've had to deal with a number of realities and challenges over the years. So would you share with us a few experiences around this and what you've learned along the way? And Megan, I chuckle a lot because I'm almost in every protected class there is. <laughs> but I feel really fortunate to have both really great experiences and some not so great experiences because I think I've learned from both. And one of the things that I've learned from the not so great experiences is that we're all human, that you're going to have great managers that you learn great things from. And then managers who really teach you, just like your parents, like you say, I don't ever want to do that, right? You know, those lessons are also really critical to the development, I think. How you come out of the other side of that, I've learned to develop a lot of resilience. So I think that's really critical. Early in my career, I had some not so great experiences. 
And one of the things that I think helped me is to really take that power back to myself and say, you know what, this isn't career ending. This person isn't going to continue to have power over me. How do I navigate outside of this experience or outside of this company? Because this isn't a culture that I really feel like I can grow in. The really great experiences I try to really lean into. And those experiences, I really tried to understand what made it great for me. You know, was it the person? Was it the experience? Was it the collaborating of the experience? But really try to assess why it resonated with me and then try to duplicate that in other efforts. So I kind of get that high and great experience over and over. One of the things I share a lot with my mentees is, you know, I have to work. I don't necessarily want to work. So if I have to work, I want to go to a work environment that I enjoy, that I feel good about, that has the same values that I have. And if I'm fighting every day at my job to have and create those really great experiences, I have to question whether or not that's the experience that I want. I really encourage people not to sit in experiences where they don't feel valued, that they really, you know, they wake up and they don't want to go to work. There are so many options today for people to navigate what their experience looks like. And I encourage them to think about that. Take that leap. Even if you fall backwards, it's still an experience that you have control over. So I, I, those are sort of the things that I think about when I think about, you know, being a person of color, being a woman, being over 40, you know, all those types of experiences that really sort of create who you are and can come with both positive and sort of negative experiences through them. I say, take control back create the experience that you want. It takes a lot of courage and also resilience, but you own that. And you, you know, just like lots of company logos talk about you own your career. You also own what type of career and the experiences that you have. Absolutely. And, you know, I really appreciate what you said early on there about how you intentionally focus on when things go well, because we know from all the brain research, human nature tends to, if we get nine compliments and one negative, our mind just goes for survival or for whatever reason, we just go there. And so that says to me that certainly you had a mindset, there was intentionality as you were navigating all of this. And I'm wondering, as you think back, is there a time perhaps with that first amazing mentor at Walt Disney World or some advice that really helped you kind of shift that perspective where you were able to navigate some challenging situations? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question because I think prior to that, I didn't have a mentor. I think about the time, you know, before I changed into HR as my second career, I didn't have mentors up until that point. I had coworkers that I discussed things, but never one who really helped me navigate through an organization. I sort of fell into, you know, doing it myself or not really wanting to ask for help or not seeing someone who would offer help. And so I do think that when I moved into HR, there was this sort of mentoring 
mindset that went on naturally within HR. And that sort of lowered my defenses to sort of ask for help to be and to be vulnerable. And also, I think, you know, giving me sort of that 50,000 foot view of the organization to then say, let's lean into a little bit of this to understand, you know, more about the organization, less about functional capabilities. And for me, that was a change maker to really start to build my confidence around business acumen, my soft skills, you know, being sort of that empathetic leader, active listening with leaders, um, because your, your perspective is really, in my opinion, starting to broaden instead of just being in that functional capability. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. And again, it's all about perspective, right? All of a sudden, you're looking at that higher, more strategic level. And it kind of reminds me also of how they always talk about, you know, if you're dealing with something emotional and you want to be more in your head to in the moment, think about, okay, if I was a reporter, how would I report on this? You know, kind of that step back detachment. And I imagine that may have been somewhat similar with the strategic high level perspective. Yeah, you know, my first role in HR was around diversity recruitment. (laughs) I think Walt Disney World was way ahead of their time back in 2000 to really think about establishing diversity recruitment goals. And I remember some really tough conversations about the difference between affirmative action and diversity recruitment and what that meant and how I really needed to reskill myself to have these crucial conversations with leaders about, you know, what, what the business goals were around diversity. And when you have those sort of conversations with, you know, senior leaders of an organization that's as well established with Disney, it is very intimidating. And I got into some hot water a couple of times with leaders, you know, really challenging the thought around diversity its meaning around business goals and and the fact that they associated, you know, these sort of business goals with affirmative action. But what was really important was how my leader reacted to that and really showed me how you can collaborate and renegotiate points of views, even with senior leaders around tough topics like diversity empathetic and human-centered discussions, you know, how to really talk about how your work contributes to the overall organization in a way that is really engaging instead of adversarial. And that was just mind-blowing to me how, you know, she really could turn those conversations around. It wasn't about winning your point of view, which was an important point for me because I was in the business of winning my point of view. I was in the right. Um, (laughs) And so those conversations really were about less about personal me and what was good for the organization and attaching it to business goals and really depersonalizing it. And it didn't feel good in the moment. Like, no, this was a personal attack for me. And how she turned that around to say, no, this is really about the business. How do you really articulate your point of view around what's good for the business? Again, game changing for me, 
a lot of emotional maturity for me in those conversations, but also powerful, I think, abilities demonstrated around your business acumen, your ability to collaborate, your ability to demonstrate how to win an argument without, you know, it becoming personal, right? That's really savviness, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I think how I feel so lucky to have had a mentor who could show me those types of things, right? Yeah. That was the word I was thinking as I was listening to you is what a powerful illustration of how to reframe, refocus, try to get to that win-win. There's just so much there. And so it leads me into my next question, which is kind of diving a little deeper into what you were just saying, you know, learning about those skills that are going to help you be most effective for your organization, for yourself and the work that you do. So I know there are a couple of specific skills that you really credit as being really a large part of your career success. Uh, And the first of those strengths is networking. So that, of course, is a topic. It's always been popular. It's all about relationships. But of course, much more interest lately in the wake of uh, so much more virtual and hybrid world. So what would you share a little for our listeners about what you've learned as far as some of your best practices or tips around networking? Yeah, I approach networking really differently now than I did 20 years ago. I would say 20 years ago, what networking was all about for me was sort of getting to know senior leaders and and this power that I felt around who they were, what they represented, and sort of aspirational for me, right? Like I saw myself and I want to be those people in 20 years. Now networking means something really different. And I encourage people to really think about now the value of networking and what it really means. Um, You know, when I think about networking, the first thing I think about is authenticity and really being yourself. I know that 20 years ago, I was not myself when I was networking, right? It was really just about, you know, that get to know person. And now I think people are really much more savvy in networking and understanding that you really have to be who you are. I think the second thing that I think about networking that's really important is to make sure that you're bringing value into a networking relationship. So early on, it was all about who that person was and what I was going to get out of them. And now I think really people are interested in what's the two-way value, right? It's not just about who am I and what I might be able to do for you, but building that relationship, as you said, and saying, here's what my value is for you. And here's what I'm looking for in in value from you. That sort of two way, I think is really, really important. And then also um, sort of being intentional about networking. So not just going from buzz, 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 you know, person to person to person, you know, and just, signing up and going to every event, but really understanding what is the value of networking that you're looking to get out of an activity and making sure that it makes sense for you. Why are you showing up? Why are you investing your time? Why do you want to build relationships? And because I think networking today is about building relationships. It's not just the meet and greet, 
But if you really want to get something out of network, it is about building relationships. And so how do you be intentional about that um, and have a plan, just like you have a plan for everything else? And I, because I really think that with the amount of virtual events, plus our in-person opportunities, you sort of double the, the opportunity, but you really want to make it count. So just because there is double the opportunity doesn't mean that you need to sort of peanut butter spread yourself around, right? You know, just be intentional about what that means. I know when someone comes to me that, you know, wants to network with me, you know, the first thing I say is why? Why do you want to network with me? What's the purpose? What do I have? Or what do you have to offer me that I'd want to network with you? I think, you know, our time is very valuable. And I want to understand that reason why. Boy, there's so much wisdom packed into what you were just saying. And uh, the last thing you said, of course, made me smile because I do think it's a kind of a, you know, stereotype you always hear about women as we get older, uh, but there becomes more and more recognition of, you know, how we're directing our time uh, and, and how we're using it. But what I really heard throughout what you were saying, it really spoke to me about mentoring in so far as, again, it's that intentionality, which includes Do you know what you value? It's very easy at this pace of life right now to have not had a moment between work and life to have paused and breathe for a moment and think about who you are now and what do you value as well as, as you say, why you want to network. When you're mentoring, I imagine part of this is that importance of becoming still and thinking about, okay, who am I and why do I want to do this? Yeah, absolutely. I greatly value mentoring, as you can tell, but I also think that you have to be mentor ready. So your mindset really needs to be open about why you're doing it, what you're going to get out of it, the type of mentor that you really think would help you, because there is some science behind a mentor match, right? You just can't pluck someone out of the air and and they're a match for you. And while I got really lucky with my first mentor, you know, not so lucky in other relationships around there, right? Because you just kind of choose someone and you think you see them being awesome and you think they're going to be awesome for you, but then your styles don't match. So I really do think that there's intentionality in that. And knowing your value means a lot of self-awareness, being honest with yourself about who you are and where you would like some help. And so being you know, clear about that, that you know, just because someone may have similar values or a similar career path, doesn't mean that they have the necessary skills to help you where you need it. Maybe that person's um, in your network, but not your mentor, right? There's a difference. Um, so you've got to understand what it is that you're looking out of, out of, of a mentor relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. So another strength of yours is your ability to hold others accountable effectively. And, you know, the ability to do this at all, much less successfully is really a skill. And of course, a lot of skills go into being able to do this and, I know that this is certainly a skill that uh, many of us could use some mentoring on. So would you just share how you've approached that challenge of holding people accountable in an effective manner? You know, I imagine part of this again at play is a bit of a mindset for you. 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, first of all, I think the great thing about holding people accountable effectively is that this is a learned skill. Like you don't have to be born with it. It's not all about your personality, but you can learn this skill. And I've certainly learned this over time, not just about holding people accountable, because I think in some ways at work that might be a little easier, but the effectiveness part of it is really difficult to do. And especially if you've made deep relationships, how do you hold people accountable? Even in your friendships, right? How do you hold people accountable? And so a lot of this for me learned along the way was about the relationship that I have with people. So based on the relationship, whether it be a surface relationship, a friendship, um, you know, acquaintance, a colleague, or deep relationships, that's pretty much then how I think about how to hold that person accountable. So for surface relationships, the accountability might look different. At work with colleagues, I think it's really important to set those expectations up front about accountability. That way, there's not really an opportunity for people to say, oh, I didn't know that you wanted me to do that. Or, you know, I didn't even think about that as part of the scope of our work. So for me at work, it's really important to set expectations about accountability up front and to manage to those expectations around the way. So for me, setting clear expectations up front, doing those sort of check-ins as we go along the way really helps, I think, set the stage for if feedback or corrective you know, alignment around those goals and accountability shift that we can both hold ourselves accountable. In my personal life around accountability, I certainly look at that differently, certainly use different language, not the language that I would use at work. But again, I sort of set those standards for myself on, you know, here's the plan, here's your part of the plan. And if your part of the plan falls through, why, you know, let's talk about it. For me, it sets realistic boundaries in each of my relationships to set those goals, expectations, and then the follow through so that I don't have missed expectations as well, right? How do I navigate my relationships so I get what I want as well as that person getting what they want, right? And I think holding people accountable can be negotiable. I think that's an important part of having, especially at work, those sort of effective relationships, right? To say, hey, you thought that I was going to do this as we talk about our meeting expectations at the beginning of the conversation, but I can say, you know what, that's actually not possible for me. Let's renegotiate, you know, what I'm accountable for, or let's talk with someone else about that misalignment. So certainly in all my relationships, I think that accountability is negotiable, but making sure that you set those expectations early and often is a part of where I think that they work effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, I imagine, you know, your goals and your value of being authentic and being vulnerable uh, at times, I imagine those really help you when you're holding people accountable, holding yourself accountable. It seems like they all work together. Yeah. It took me a long time to be vulnerable at work. I'm going to be honest. Because 
you know, I am who I am, a woman of color. Being vulnerable was really hard for me. And I also think that culturally, I come from a New York area. That's not who we are, you know, so that really played a lot into my personality and who I was and how I showed up. And so how I learned to be vulnerable for what was safe for me took me a long time to get to. What were safe topics for me to talk about where I could feel vulnerable? And so I, again, I was intentional about that, you know, how to create a story that I felt very safe and sharing at work that allowed me to be vulnerable, but also set boundaries, right? I didn't need to know everything about your weekend and what you were doing, and you don't need to know everything about my weekend and what I'm doing. But there are, besides pleasantries, you want you do want to create those common conversations that you can have to be vulnerable. And I think I've sort of navigated that pretty successfully now for the past few years because I've set those, those boundaries for myself to say, this is the space I'll be vulnerable in, and I'm good with that. And I don't need to go further in order to further my career, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Brene Brown, of course, did a lot of good having us recognize how important vulnerability is, but really in the end, it is such an act of courage, I think. Don't you? I do. Like I said, you know, it took me a long time to get to a place where I was vulnerable. And that was because I thought being vulnerable meant that you were open to attack and open to listening to everyone else's opinion about who you are, what you are. And I think in some cases that could be true, but being intentional about vulnerability means, again, sort of that self-awareness journey, understanding who you are, understanding your value system, understanding who you are as an authentic person and gathering your power from that. So being confident in who you are and what your skills are does allow you to have some vulnerability because you're not still sort of forming. And even if you are, there's still some things that you know to be true to you, right? So even I think very early in your career, there's some things that you know are true about who you are, your value system for one, that you don't have to stray from in order to show up authentic and to be vulnerable. You can keep those things sort of in your back pocket as you learn and grow about where else you can be vulnerable, those things can happen for you. And so I, I do think it's important to be vulnerable. It allows you to create sort of that active listening skill when you're vulnerable. I also think empathy is really, really important today. There's such a blur between personal and work today, that sort of work-life balance that we talked about pre-pandemic. And I really do think it's important to sort of have that emotional intelligence that we're all talking about, those soft skills around empathy, being really human-centered. And vulnerability is a part of that, as well as courage, right? The courage to say, here's who I, I am. Here's my value system. Here's how I heard what you said to me. Tell me if that was your intent to really focus on just standing up for yourself and to create those sort of moments, watershed moments for yourself. But that comes with, again, 
making sure that you've created the type of relationships that you want in order to have that vulnerability, right? You can't be vulnerable with the person you meet on the corner the same way that you are with a colleague, right? That you spent, you know, six months working with. But there are those stages of vulnerability where it really can be sort of, like I said, that watershed moment to create those deep relationships, be authentic about who you are. And for you to then see, again, who are the people you're making relationships with? Are they willing to also be vulnerable? Are they looking to create deep relationships with you? Because sometimes you're willing to create deep relationships with people who aren't willing to do the same with you. And that's okay. You just need to be aware of it, right? So that the relationship is equal, right? So that there's courage in in that too, right? Questioning, you know, how deep a relationship are, are you going to have? Are they as authentic in the relationship as you want to be? That's so true. <laughs> there, once again, so much wisdom packed in. I'm so glad I asked that follow-up question because I think you brought so many insights from your experience and your awareness. And I particularly like the concept of remembering boundaries with the vulnerability. You know, I think that's such a, a wonderful balancing act along with everything you talked about as far as putting it into play. All right, I just have a couple final questions for you that I typically ask everyone. One is just, uh, you know, this is your opportunity to kind of do the collective mentoring. And, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Kind of that, what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? I mean, you've shared a lot about what we've discussed, but what is something maybe we didn't touch on? Yeah, I would say one of the things that I really love about myself, if I could talk about myself, right? (laughs) Is that I'm a lifelong learner. And I think that really contributes to that sort of intentional mindset. I love to read articles and watch webinars and podcasts. You know, you talked about Benet Brown, but I love Ariana Huffington. And there's a lot of other folks that I think are sort of this inspirational thinking, right? You might not live the lives that they have, but there's always some sort of nugget, right? That that really resonates with me, that then begins to build who I am. So that self-awareness that I have about myself, well, you know, I just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I know who I am. You know, (laughs) it's sort of getting out there and learning, right? What are the type of learners are there? You know, what are the type, what are people talking about? What's happening in different industries? And that really contributes, I think, to a lot of your self-awareness, but also, you know, sort of that emotional IQ that you can build. And so if I could say anything about what makes someone be a better mentor, a better leader would be sort of that learning process. Just be open to learning, open to listening to people with different opinions. That active listening skill, I think is just really huge. And I think often just kind of glossed over that, oh yeah, read an article, read it with intention, get something out of it, right? Absolutely. You know, it's so true with the mentoring mentality that I've found certainly is that all of you are continuous learners. And you said something at the very beginning that I wanted to circle back on, which is you highlighted that the learning goes in both directions with a mentor and a mentee, which is absolutely what we find to be the case. And I think part of that is 
that openness to different perspective, that openness to hearing the views and opinions of others. And so it really is, uh, continues that learning, right? It does. Yeah, absolutely. I learned just as much from my mentees as I hope they do from me. Just remembering the journey that they're in and knowing that every time you talk to a mentee about their journey, you can learn something new. It's so different from when your journey started. What people have to navigate through is so different. And I won't say more difficult or easier, just different, right? So many more different things to think about. And I, I wonder sometimes, like, right, who would I be? If I started my journey today, and I often talk to my daughter about that, like, think about your journey, it's going to be so much different than mine, there's certainly things that will be common, but the journey will be different. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that as you were saying that I was thinking both of us have uh, daughters in their 20s, and they're the best teachers of all the difference, (laughs) the good and the bad, my gosh. All right. Last question for you, Kim. And that is, I just, I'm a lover of quotes and I always like to hear mentors typically are as well. And I'm wondering, do you have at least in the moment right now, a favorite quote or a favorite motto? I do. I have something written on my desk that I read like once a week. So I'll I'll read it. It's from Alice Walker. Um, If you're not familiar who she is, she's the Pulitzer Prize winning African-American woman, author, Um, most notably known for Color Purple, but she's also an activist in her own right. Um, And I love the quote that she has about, look closely at the present you are constructing. It should look like the future you are dreaming. And I just love that quote because it really talks to who you are, right? Build the person you wanna be. And if that, you know, your values, who you want to be as a person, as a mother, as a friend, and if you aren't living your truth, right, you're building the story that you want to have in the future. And so that it helps ground myself in saying, yep, I'm going to be who I am. I'm this authentic person. People may not always like me, but how do I get past that barrier of like to collaboration and working styles And it's less about me and more about the work. And it's just really important for me to to keep that sort of in the back of my head as something that grounds me. And I just love that quote. I love that quote so much. And, you know, I I keep track of quotes. That one I do not know. It's going right into my quote file. And of course, she says it so beautifully and so concisely. But it also, to my mind, I can see why it speaks to you so powerfully also, because it is all about intentionality, right? It is, yeah. yeah. And just, you know, again, I, I want to live my authentic self. And it took me a long time to be brave enough to do that. And as a reminder that I am enough, as a woman of color, I bring value not only to myself, my family, my community, but my work. And then as a, as a woman of color, I add value as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That is the perfect place to end. Kim, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your insights so openly today. I am sure there are many people listening who either see themselves 
many others who have benefited from hearing your story and seeing through your eyes. It just really is amazing how powerful personal stories are. So thank you for being Brene Brown Vulnerable and sharing your story with us. Thank you for the opportunity to share the story, Megan and Mentium as well. I really appreciate it. I haven't done this before, but I was vulnerable enough to do it. And I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm so delighted you, you chose to say yes. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining the Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with friends and colleagues. And if you are interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. So we look forward to having you join us next time for our next inspiring episode.